Welcome to The Disability, a podcast where we have candid discussions about all things related to disability, short-term, long-term, financial claims, impact on other areas of life, causes in the workplace, and more, with your host, Attorney Angel Burgess. You can find this show at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now here's the host of The Disability, Angel Burgess. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Disability. Today, we are pleased to have with us um, Mariette Clardy Davis, who is an attorney and mental health advocate. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are so excited to talk with you today. Um, I know you've got so much good information to share with our audience. So I want to just jump right in, um, if we can, and have you just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. So I'm Mariette Clardy Davis. I currently reside out of Atlanta, Georgia, and I would call myself a multi-passionate professional. So specifically, I am an in-house attorney. However, I'm also a passionate mental health advocate, Web3 contributor, and overall creative. And specific to mental health advocacy, I've had experience of every with everything from mental health accommodations to mental health representation, and then just overall speaking and training from my own personal experience of being diagnosed with bipolar depression at the age of 21, and I'm 42 now, so spending decades just dealing with the cycles of symptoms until I created my own path to stability. Wonderful. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about that and and specifically how your lived experience has impacted your work and, and the advocacy that you do in the mental health field. Well, I would say that a lot of the work I do really revolves around the connection through my lived experience. So I would say that is the most powerful, what I would call superpower that I have, is that when I speak with others, it's coming from a place of understanding and coming from a space of connection, whether it was through my work in legal representation or just general speaking. I also recognize the problems and frustrations, whether it's from a caregiver aspect or someone with lived experience, because for decades I dealt with um, many of those same challenging uh, challenges and circumstances. So really just coming from that shared connection. Okay. And so with your experience, um, you know, um, living with a mental health condition, tell us about the stigma. And as a female professional, you know, how that stigma of uh, surrounding mental health impacts female professionals. I think that the stigma, I'll say from a general standpoint and then specific uh, to female professionals, I would say the stigma of mental illness from a big picture perspective often comes with or accompanies this feeling of uh, suffering in silence, 
or hiding in isolation. And specifically as it relates to being a professional, many professions such as like the legal profession, for example, there is on its face an acceptance for mental health and wellness and well-being. Um, and you see a lot of that on social media, but there is also a lot of unspoken layers, especially professionally, where many people don't feel the safety of sharing their experiences and getting support for the fear of um, getting fired or being looked upon uh, negatively. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so when we're talking about the workplace, you know, I'm sure that that over the years and with your experience, um, you've been asked you know, how to address certain workplace issues? Do I disclose, you know, the, the mental illness? Um, you know, what are some of the things that uh, you've dealt with or questions that you've been asked as it relates to the workplace and dealing with uh, mental illness? So I'll, I'll start by my general disclaimer. And of course, I know you'd appreciate this. This is not legal advice. So everything is fact or circumstance specific. But I would say when I am having, let's just say conversations, some of the bigger overarching themes that I speak to people about, and this was specific to my own um, circumstance as well, is what is the need? So the reason why I disclosed was specifically because there were certain where I was was not where I wanted to be. And I needed disclosure to number one, get certain workplace accommodations, but also pull the tools and resources together. So I would say the biggest thing is, is there a need to disclose? Or are there other avenues that you can look at? And then other things which are equally more important would be environment. Do you have an environment where you feel safe where you feel like you can have um, these conversations with either HR or leadership and feel safe in the environment to share. And then finally looking at leadership, do you have, or are you in a company where you feel like there is leadership that will support you, even if it's indirectly through their policies and procedures and HR initiatives? Because we understand that there are legal aspects and legal rights that um, professionals and people do have, depending on what the disclosure is, but there are also practical implications to those two. So I don't like to dismiss that in just favor of just understanding, looking at the legal rights on their face. Okay. And so with the um, representation that you've provided as it relates to mental health specifically, have you dealt with some of those issues with employers um, and how they handle disclosure and perhaps requests for accommodations? Yes. So specifically in the um, prior to going in-house, I did represent clients who um, just made a decision that they wanted to disclose and wanted um, me to step in and help really be a bridge or what I call a facilitator between their HR department and themselves to help with the interactive process. One thing that I think many people don't realize or a huge myth is that many HR departments are used to dealing with mental health, yeah. especially mental health accommodations. And what I'm finding after speaking, either through a representation capacity or even just friends and colleagues who are in HR, for many, it scares them half to death. 
They don't have experience. They know from a policy standpoint, but the actual implementation and what am I supposed to do and that whole thing oftentimes is very fuzzy. Okay. Could you give us some examples um, of mental health accommodations that a person could ask for? Yes. So we'll use myself as an example. One of the challenges um, that I faced, particularly whether it was in school or professionally, was um, with my bipolar depression. I had severe anxiety and panic attacks, and often it would disrupt my ability to sometimes take tests in the designated time that I had available. So I was given granted accommodations to allow me to take more time on a test or at work to be able to look at a project and just based on where I was in my present, be able to talk to my supervisor and potentially um, work with them to get extended time. That is one, I think, big one. Another one that I personally use was software that allowed me to proofread my work better oftentimes. And I think this may, this was just something specific to me, but it was a point of great anxiety. I would work so hard on a project and I would look and they would say, oh, you didn't catch all of these mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so I found some tools. Um, The Job Accommodation Network, I think is a great resource for that, but I found examples of tools and things that I could use, whether it's reading my work aloud or just getting extra time to review it, that really helped me feel more confident professionally in the work that I was turning in. And I would say the third would be reasonable accommodations or more time to support my mental health whether that is doing treatment, outpatient treatment, therapy visits during working hours in many companies that may not be allowed. And so getting those accommodations that allow you to take that time to get the support you need, even if it's you know working another hour on the back end, which was what I did, I, are examples of things that people can look to. Okay, that, that's very helpful. So, Would you have um, a client come to you before they had requested the accommodations or after the accommodations had been requested and perhaps denied? Like what is the, what's the timeline look like in terms of, you know, legal consultation? So I've personally dealt with those who were looking to disclose and were fearful and wanted that support on the front end. However, I have worked with those also in an informal capacity, just speaking with those whose accommodations, and I wouldn't say may have not fully denied, but certain accommodations weren't um, granted and Oftentimes it's looking at what is the information that your medical providers have provided to your departments. Did that information help to substantiate what you needed? In some cases it did, but in other cases it didn't. So it's also looking at some of those, what I call missing links that can help other people, um, even if it's informally to kind of bridge that gap. Well, I think that would be so helpful for people to know because that is an issue. Um, and, you know, I know that a lot of people may opt to you know, resign from the position or even potentially be terminated from the position um, instead of, you know, talking with HR 
or seeking legal counsel about the necessary accommodations that could allow them to be able to perform their job. So that is really refreshing to hear that there is another avenue that people can pursue um, if they feel that it would be helpful um, to their job performance. So, so how do our listeners find you <laughs> or, or find, you know, attorneys like you that can help with these issues? So it is state by state specific. We'll start off with that because lawyers generally practice by state. So I'm licensed to practice in Georgia, but if someone had an issue in Virginia, let's just say I was not working for a company at the time, I wouldn't be able to provide legal advice or representation. So it's about starting, I would say, with your area nonprofit. I know NAMI has a National Alliance for Mental Illness. They have a helpline and that helpline um, often is a resource helpline. And that's where they gather attorneys and resources that they can refer you to that is specific to your state. So I would say that that's one. And then the second is also Google. Um, looking at attorneys who do write or publish about these things in the form of blogs to kind of show what their expertise and experiences in this area would also be a good place to start. Okay, well, that's very helpful. And so NAMI is, if someone wants to Google NAMI, it's N-A-M-I. Yes. Okay, wonderful. So uh, along that same... um, kind of continuing along that same topic. As a female, as a professional, um, is there some sort of support network or support group um, that you could you know, tell the audience about uh, that people can use as a resource? So one, I think community and support is really important. That wasn't something that I had especially during my journey. And so there are a number of support groups. We'll start from kind of the top level, which are your nonprofits, your NAMIs, and your Mental Health of America. They often have not only family support groups, so if you are a family member who has a loved one who has a mental illness, but you also have lived experience, I first and foremost, especially mental health related, always point to those resources. If you are in therapy, a lot of therapy and therapists have groups. So that's kind of the next prong that I would look to. And then just finally looking to groups and resources um, online, whether it's um, books or even groups. There's a lot of online groups, I would say, especially since through COVID that provide that virtual community that so many professional women are looking for. I've seen some on Facebook, I've seen others on LinkedIn. So, and I believe based on professions, if you Google certain professions, they also have their own support groups as well. So there's many avenues that people can look to. Wonderful. And what about any tips that you have that you could share with our audience? Um, But please feel free to, to share. So I would say the biggest tip that I would share is to create 
a toolkit that works for you. Um, one of the big challenges is that you hear kind of on social media that there were these prob these issues or this person had these challenges and they did this and everything was better. My path is going to be different from your path, even though we both may have similar challenges because of kind of facts and circumstance specific. I think it's important that you find tools that work for you and become your own advocate. Oftentimes, many of us are great advocates for our friends and family, but when it comes to things that we need and support that we need, we are often the last people to advocate for ourselves. So I would say my, the biggest tool is to determine what are some of your biggest challenges and then find the tools and resources that you need to support that, whether it's medically, whether it's therapeutically, whether it's coping skills or other tools. Um, or skills that you can learn to help you create a life that is authentic and stability that's authentic to you personally. Okay. And with all of your experience um, in this area, are there any additional resources um, that you can recommend? Um, to the audience. Yes. So besides kind of the big picture, one of the things that I was passionate about as a someone who does a lot of speaking and training is that I didn't want to necessarily leave my audience with a book, which is a specific moment in time, because I'm still on my own journey. So I wanted to provide my audience and those that I spoke with, with resources and tools based on the things I've learned, but also the things I'm learning. And so I created a newsletter called A Peak, A Doorway into Wellness, really geared towards supporting professional women at many stages along their mental health journey with really practical tools and tips and stories that they can connect to, to really help them create um, their own path to stability. Okay. And, and so how would um, the newsletter be accessed? How can we yes, so I'm on a lot of social media platforms. The main one is LinkedIn. So if you go on LinkedIn and you look up my name, I have a link to, my, uh, to the newsletter in my bio, Instagram, same thing. And I also have a YouTube channel as well within my, with my name. But you can also, if you Google my name, generally um, the LinkedIn profile will pop up first and it will take you directly to a link to access the newsletter. I would say that's the easiest way because I'm learning if I give people the URL, the uh, five seconds later, I forget the first three letters and then I'm <laughs> often, I'm just like, what was it? <laughs> so I'm going to give it simple. Remember okay. my name, that's Google my name. Google your name. <laughs> and you also mentioned speaking engagements. So can you tell us about um, some of the speaking engagements and, you know, are you available if there are any groups, um, you know, anyone that's a member of any groups that's listening that would like to have you come and speak to their organization. Thank you for that. So a lot of the speaking and training that I do is really to support program leaders, nonprofits and organizations to support whether it's their employees or their members or, you know, people that are important to their organization that may need someone to resonate with um, lived experience. I often find that some of the most powerful tools, 
um, often come from listening to the stories of those who have had a similar journey. And that's often where many, whether it's employees or individuals and organizations often feel that connection. So I speak at everything from nonprofits to uh, companies, organizations, professional associations. I'm really there to, you know, listen to and understand what uh, challenges your organization has and provide value. Wonderful. Well, we so much appreciate you coming um, to talk with us. And before we leave, I just want to make sure that there weren't anything else, any other tips or tools that you wanted to share with our audience. I would say no. The biggest thing is do what you need to do to create a path that works for you. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Mariette Clardy Davis, for coming and spending the time to talk with us about not only your lived experience, but to provide some really helpful tips to our audience um, who may be going through some of the, the same things that you've been through. So again, thank you so much for joining us. And this has been another episode of The Disability. We look forward to talking with you next time. You've been listening to The Disability with Angel Burgess. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others. You can catch prior episodes at www.disabilityhelpline.com and on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.